my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that, yes boy. Tēnakoto katoa, and thank you very much for tuning in to another episode of Code with Kingy, where for this go-round, I'm sitting down with a former member of the Crusaders, a one-cap all-black, and currently a member of the Manawatu Turbos, while also applying his trade in Japan, that being the brass Brett Cameron. First of all, brother, thank you very much for your time, and uh, why don't you let us know how things are going over in Asia? Hey, bro, yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Looking forward to having a yarn, and... Yeah, going, going not too bad over here at the moment. It's been a big change. Team's battling a little bit at the moment, so it's been tough. Not performing as well as we, we'd like, but hopefully we can come right in the next uh, few games coming up. I guess that's the beauty of rugby, right? You've got a week to get back on the horse and try and right the ship. But outside of footy, though, like has it been what you expected? And like, How long have you actually been over there? I know a few boys that I know dipped off over those ways like around sort of October November last year and they did it pretty tough in MIQ so was that a similar scenario for you? Yeah pretty much the same I've been here since yeah kind of start of November yeah started off with two weeks MIQ couldn't leave the room for 14 days so it was a tough slog cold bento boxes for meals is pretty rough but um no it was good once once I get out here but it has been a little bit different to what I'd expected but just because of COVID and some pretty kind of strict rules that the team have about you can't really get out and and do a lot so no it's been it's been good I love Japan it's an awesome place and the people here are awesome as well I was gonna say do they not have like an Uber Eats over there in Japan to (laughs) to suss you out because I mean I've I've heard firsthand like how shit in my queue food is in New Zealand but yeah I can only imagine some of the stuff they've been whipping up in Japan yeah, no, unfortunately couldn't get overeat, so it was tough. <laughs> it's like, like cold fish for breakfast and all sorts. I didn't touch half of it. <laughs> mm, oh, yeah, the fasting, eh? You know, keen <laughs> to try new things. And we, so you, you were saying that you couldn't even leave your room at all. There wasn't like a designated exercise time to get out and get some fresh air. Nah, so, wow. yeah, sort of thought we might be able to get out for a little bit of time, but no, nah, I couldn't leave the room at all. So it was a bit of cabin fever at the end yeah a bit too much netflix i can imagine as well but once you get out of that uh where'd you head off to like where's your team base and i know that things sort of hit winter or was it still winter over there so like did we there to enjoy somewhat of a nice outdoor setting um no it was pretty much straight into like middle of winter so it was um but yeah kamaishi it's far north japan so it was a big trip on the train up and then a bit of a drive and it's, it's just like a, a real small town sort of on the coast. It's a um, beautiful area, but we've had plenty of snow and it's yeah, a bit of an eye-opener. It's been, I think, like we're finally getting into double figures now, so it's feeling a little bit warmer. A little bit? Oh, well, that's, well, that's a plus. Uh, and I know that like a lot of the Japanese teams, you know, like the Toyotas and the Hondas, they have like the business behind them. So what's the, what's the go with your team? Where does all their money come from? Yeah, so they used to be Nippon Steel, but now they've they've changed to it's just like a community team. But mm. Nippon Steel were like the yeah they're the main sponsor, so they they provide that still for the team. I think. Okay, and I know that you touched on that things haven't been the greatest on the field, so we won't get into that. But in terms of from like a preparation standpoint, what have sort of been the the differences to what you've ex- or what you had experienced prior to leaving, you know, with all the teams that I rattled off, you know, the Turbos, Canterbury, the Crusaders, the All Blacks. How does that or like the Kiwi prep differ to what they do in Japan? Yeah, it's quite a bit different. There's probably a lot more detail and work that goes in off the field back home um, in terms of previewing who you're playing and changing up what what you're doing each week, but. It's a little bit different here and it's been tough with the language barrier as well. So you kind of just got to make do at times and just do what you can. But they love big trainings. They sort of only go one pace here. So there's no sort of walkthroughs on a Monday. It's just flat out. So that's yeah. been a little bit different, but getting used to it now. But the, the body's usually pretty sore during the week. Mm, especially with that language barrier. There'd be no gentleman's agreement around tackling drills and whatnot, I can imagine. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you got to be smart around that. 
So what are you calling like one, two cuts and skip passes? Like how, how do you, how do you break that down to where like, you know, cause in, in the, in the midst of a game, sometimes, you know, you, you're trying to call things on the fly. So how do you, how do you relay that to your teammates who, yeah, can't quite speak English fluently? Yeah. Yeah. It is tough. I've tried to learn a bit of Japanese, but it goes out the window once you're on the field. So you're just sort of yelling in English and hoping that it goes through. But a, a lot of the boys are pretty good with like, just the odd like words in limited English so you can sort of most of the calls are actually in English so it's not too bad but um yeah there's not a lot of comms coming in at times so you kind of just gotta play eyes up and um sort of use the other foreign boys on the field um to sort of get some calls going and I know you mentioned off here there's a there's a handful of you boys um what is it like a couple of Kiwis in there I think from doing my homework does that make the I guess the the, the stark contrast and culture is a lot easier like being able to mingle with those guys and like have you been able to get up to much even in the midst of COVID like exploring around the city and all that sort of jazz yeah it's been good having those boys here because a few of them have been already been here for a couple of years so right catching up with them they sort of showed us the good places around town to eat and things to do so that's handy but yeah it's been tough like not being able to get out and do a lot of exploring or or anything with COVID, they're pretty strict. Uh, a lot of the time, we haven't even been able to eat out. So, oh wow, yeah, been getting the cooking skills <laughs> going <laughs> at home. But um, nah, on away trips, we sort of just stick to the hotel, and you can go to the convenience store down the road. But that's about it. So usually, just go for a wee walk and have a look around. But not a heap that we can do. Mm, and not to throw anyone under the bus, but did you know all of this going over there? No, I actually didn't. Like, like probably my own fault. I didn't really do too much like research or, or talk to the team too much. But I had a fair understanding that of the COVID rules um, the season before. But I thought it might have been lightened up mm. a little bit and sort of hoping to do a bit of travel or stay the odd weekend down in Tokyo. But um, hasn't been the case. But hopefully, before I fly home, get to get to do, have a little bit of a look around. Yeah, bro. Fingers crossed, and you're no doubt grateful for the opportunity. Anyway, but in order to get to where you're currently at, you had to have started somewhere. So, can you take us back to a young Brett? Uh, How did you get into footy, and where'd you grow up? Yes, I grew up in uh, Wanganui. Most of my family still all live in Wanganui, and sort of just grew up just loving like rugby during the winter, cricket in the summer. My dad was a good sportsman back in the day, so he sort of I sort of just followed whatever he was doing, watching on TV. And as far as I remember, always just throwing a ball around in the backyard and just had an awesome like, bunch of mates, I guess, growing up and family back home. That that was sort of what we did. Just sport has sort of always been a massive part of my life. And yeah, I guess growing up, that, that was all we did, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds very similar to mine, although I never got quite to the heights that you did. I, I peaked at club rugby. But having done my homework on you, cuz, you did your secondary schooling at Cullinane College. And given, like I said, where you got to, you know, you were an all black. Cullinane isn't renowned for its rugby. And it sounds like you were quite a keen, you know, sportsman from, from, from a wee fella. So why that school and not perhaps, you know, like a Palmy Boys, which I think like a lot of boys in that area uh, end up going to? Yeah, it was, um, I was initially, go- I was going to Wanganui High School and then just, I was playing cricket for Cullinane when I was at Intermediate. So I just sort of, got a um, bit of a relationship with the principal there and like my best mate was already there so just kind of decided to go there late and loved it there but yeah like you say the rugby wasn't wasn't great there and it wasn't sort of till my last year yeah year 13 we moved into the Palmy comp instead of playing in Wanganui but we were still only playing the likes of Palmy boys thirds and fielding like second 15 right um yeah so it was good being able to sort of play better competition but um yeah certainly wasn't like the first 15 um of those bigger schools going around yeah absolutely bro just to peel that back though you said you were playing cricket for a college while at intermediate how does that work <laughs> yeah I was, I was always a keen keen cricketer so I just kind of I don't really know how it happened at the start but and when I was finishing up in year eight I was just played a few games here and there for Cullinane first level um, yeah but, but <laughs> then, then again it wasn't you know it wasn't a um, 
great cricket competition there. Right, if you're so 12 years old and you're playing 18 year olds, <laughs> <laughs> people would, would classify that as a bit of a stitch up. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no doubt you, you probably would have been pumping them um, over the boundary rather than the other way around. So you talk about the fact that even though in your last year you did manage to squeeze into the Palmy comp, but you weren't playing like the first 15s or you know the stronger first 15s. So how did how do you go from that to then finding yourself down in Canterbury playing rugby and like what were your plans once you left school? Like were you part of like all the rep teams in Manawatu and that's what led to your opportunities? Yeah. So can you can you talk us through that whole process? Yeah. Um. It was kind of came a bit out of the blue from that year 13 season of rugby I somehow got um, selected for the hurricane schools camp so um, that was like an awesome surprise and that was sort of my first experience of like a I guess professional sort of environment it was a massive eye-opener but I had an awesome teacher at school Hayden Hepburn and he sort of I guess mentored me ever since I was kind of like year 11 and kind of saw something in me and so I used to train hard with him and um, he sort of helped me out with going to that camp and got me ready and it was an awesome experience but um, at the end of that week I missed out on on the team um, that they named so I was a little bit gutted but after that I was kind of like yeah, this is what I want to do like I'd, I'd love to be a hurricane and um, and then sort of went back to to school footy and then got another call like a few months later and I made the New Zealand schools camp and um so I was a bit like what the what the hell like I didn't even make the Hurricanes team like how they got those two teams must be there so yeah that was a bit crazy and there was another step up again but awesome experience but I think I was really gutted at the end of that week because I think it was a 50 maybe 52 man squad and they picked the Barbarians and the schools team at the end so Mm. I kind of figured that there were four tens there, so I had a good chance that I'd play for the Barbarians at least, but missed out um, when they named the teams again. So I think there was maybe five guys that flew home that day, so that was pretty rough. But, yeah, from there, just got a a call from the Crusaders Academy, Academy manager, mm-hmm. and, and he sort of just mentioned that there's a potentially an opportunity to go to Lincoln Uni on a, on a rugby scholarship and kind of worked my way into that uh, Crusaders Academy. So that I just saw that as an awesome opportunity and thought, you know, I'll definitely take that with open arms. Nice, brother. So that was, so you finished your last year of school 2014, right? I think we're the same age. Yeah. And, and you talk about that Lincoln Rugby Scholarship. I actually had quite a few mates. So you'd probably know quite well. Uh, Salisi, Ryasi, Vernces Sefor, yeah. Joel Hintz. Uh, yeah, all, all boys, because I went to Silverstream, yeah, all guys that, you know, I, yeah. Yeah, I, um, I know quite fondly. And, I mean, I, I don't, I know nothing about the Canterbury comp, but what I do know with, I guess, me being a bit of a rugby geek is just how much of a powerhouse Lincoln is down there because of all the rugby talent that they attract from around the country. So did you know that going to Lincoln, you know, like how sort of, I guess, prestigious it was? And yeah, like what sort of went from there? So obviously you finished your last year of school and then did you head down after Christmas, after the New Year's break? And then, yeah, can you talk us about how you adjusted going from, you know, Whanganui to Christchurch? Yeah, it was it was definitely a big change. Like moving away from home, I was pretty nervous. I didn't really have any mates going to Lincoln. So I was mates with Geordie Barrett before going and I knew he was going. So that was good and we sort of just kicked around together. But yeah, we went round, oh, we went down, sorry, maybe a week before uni started. So in the new year um, and didn't really have too much of an idea of what it was going to be like. But I knew that, you know, there was a lot of good footy players there and that they sort of had a, an awesome program. Like it was sort of like their own kind of academy, I guess. Um, we just have, you know, trainings throughout the day and obviously, yeah, top rugby teams as well. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that, you know, part of a scholarship is balancing the books as well as the rugby. So were you keen on the academic side or was rugby really the front of mind? And yeah, how did you find that balance between, you know, obviously wanting to foot it with the best guys your age that had just gathered in in Christchurch as as part of like not only Lincoln, but all the other unis or the tradesmen that were part of the Canterbury Academy? And yeah, how how did life compare uh, in Christchurch to Whanganui? 
yeah, it was it was a lot different, and I think rugby was definitely at the front of my mind overstudy. But um, I was studying sport and rec management, so most of the people that go down sort of do your your ag, commerce, and ag science. So I didn't really have anyone that I knew doing my degree, so that didn't help with me wanting to go to any lectures. But um, <laughs> I think once we figured out that you don't actually, you know, it's all on you, you can go or you can choose not to, we sort of <laughs> brought us out, out on the field kicking a ball around more often than going to class, which is not great, but still uh, went all right and did a full year, got through that uh, my first year. But it was a real cool experience just living in the halls out at Lincoln. Um, it's a bit out of town, so you don't really get the big city stuff, but we definitely went in and had a good time in, in Christchurch. And But living in the halls was, um, yeah, probably one of my favourite favorite years. Yeah, you don't sound too dissimilar uh, to my mate Celestia. I think he spent, I'm not sure if he spent a lot of time doing extras. I'm not sure if you can vouch for him there, but yeah, he was he was doing something um, other than doing the bookwork. But hey, he's, he's still got time to go back and make amends for that. Once he's done um, covering up, you know, covering up at the Super Rugby level. But back to you, brother. You end up being a part of that Canterbury Under 19s team that go on to win the Jock Hobbs tournament. So talk us through like the, the that whole sort of academy process, like going in. You know, although you you did trial for the New Zealand schools the previous year, you know, you came from a small school and you probably weren't one of the I guess quote unquote big names down there. So was a bit of a cat fight actually getting into that team initially and and yeah talk us through the process of playing in that tournament and you know having won it and then possibly the opportunities that came after it yeah it was it was tough like that first year played just played Colts but a lot of us played Colts some awesome footy players um but there was still a lot of players playing Div 1 and they were probably already signed on Mighty 10 contracts and Crusaders contracts. So you sort of feel a little bit behind. And But I just remember talking to my, my teacher back home and he sort of just said, no, like you're in the right place, just do your time and um, it'll happen for you. So I just had a good year of Colts that year. And then that under-19 side we had was, was awesome. And we, I guess, sort of underdogs going into that final. And there was such a fun week and... After winning that, um, from there went into the Crusaders Academy after after the under nineteen campaign. Mm-hmm. I remember watching that tournament, uh, and I think like Waikato shot out to like a, a massive lead, and it, it was quite funny. I was watching it with my old man, and he, he pointed out straight away, it's like you you guys in terms of teams were almost chalk and cheese. I thought that the the Waikato team was quite flary and quite physical and. That's not to say that you guys weren't, but you guys were very much yeah. so like very Canterbury-esque, very structured. And, you know, the way you got back into the game was by going to the set piece. And I think you scored a number of rolling wall tries. And I think yourself, you kicked a couple of clutch conversions. So, yeah, that was, um, I mean, obviously being bought into it with my boys that were playing in the team. Yeah, I just remember it being such a, a very Canterbury-esque comeback. It was just like, fuck, this, it doesn't matter what level Canterbury plays at they're doing the exact same shit but moving on from that though you said that you got caught up in the crusaders academy like what did that entail um yeah so that was it's quite a full-on program and um yeah it's a bit different to the sort of the lincoln one where you go in every day and you're training at the at rugby park so it's awesome sort of just you see the crusaders um around they're doing their own training and you're just training with a a big group of, of boys in the academy that are all good rugby players just playing club footy down there and um, trying to push on to, to Mighty 10 Cup and Super Rugby. So you sort of um, just have afternoon sessions about three o'clock every day, um, whether it be gym and, and running or and some skill sessions. So your game definitely um, accelerates quite quickly once you get into that sort of taste of a professional environment. And they provide a lot of things for you off the field as well so it's it's a big eye-opener in terms of you know your mental skills your nutrition and strength and conditioning all that stuff so that was I guess an awesome um, start to know what it's like in a professional environment. Is it very intense because I mean as we've seen that catchment is a factory for tuning out great players and as much as, you know, the other regions, you know, be like the Highlanders, the Hurricanes, the Chiefs and the Blues, they have their moments, but 
you know, consistently it's Canterbury that seem to be producing the top talent and that results in them winning all the time at the senior level. So can you speak about it firsthand, you know, as a, I guess, an outsider from the region coming in and being like, oh, whoa, like this is it. This is why Canterbury and the Crusaders are that successful. Yeah, I think the, the first time I sort of thought that was we had a, they have position specific skills on a Monday night um, before the club season starts. And I think sort of any club players can just go down and get amongst it. And they have all the, you know, Crusaders coaches out there and the Canterbury coaches, all the top coaches in the area with their specific positions. And you sort of just do your own training. So I was with all the, all the tens in Christchurch and I just remember being like far out. This is, you know, this is why there's so many good players down here because you know, club players can come along and get the best coaching and and all that. But I think in the academy, like they just have such high standards and you're just always held to that, whether it's, you know, just the little things around your work ethic and, you know, keeping the gym tidy, all of those little things that I guess go a long way in the end. You sort of just see that the whole organisation is just sort of focused around success and, building great people off the field as well and it sort of just it just filters through that whole organization yeah there's not really any time you you talk about what it is but once you're there you sort of you can just feel that the whole organization everyone's um so committed to it well actions speak louder than words right um and like we've seen it, it obviously pays off when it comes down to the crunch so you finish up you know, your first year, you're part of the 19s, you win that, then you're in the Crusaders Academy, but you don't make your debut for Canterbury, the senior side, until 2017 as part of that Mitre 10 Cup season. So what happened between, I guess, initially being part of that Crusaders thing and then getting, like, your call up to the senior side? Yeah, I missed out on the New Zealand under-20s the year after that 19s, which, again, I was pretty, pretty gutted about. Um, at the time but again that was just another step for me in terms of they just sort of said you know we want you to put on a bit of size I think I was probably like 75 kgs and I put on about eight kilos I think in a couple of months before in between camps and just you know really put the effort in and yeah just wanted to I guess do everything I could to to make that team but from there just played a couple of years of Div one club footy in Christchurch, and that's always a really tough competition down there. Um, but we had some some pretty awesome Lincoln teams that um, you know I was lucky enough to win a couple of titles that that year with Lincoln. So that was awesome times, and um, had a couple of seasons just playing for the Canterbury development team as well. And so, did you know, like, w- was your play progressing to the point where? Like you were sort of in conversations with the coaches at that level at the time, being like, "Yep, you're. We want you to work on this. We want you to work on that." And then, yeah, was it like you said, you putting on more weight, and then I don't know, getting an extra five meters with your goal kicking that led you eventually getting your call up? Yeah, it was a little bit like that. Um, you know, with the academy, you're always around those coaches and stuff, I guess. So you got good access to them, and they can sort of tell you what they think you should be working on. But back then, I was very quiet, very shy. So my work on was always sort of becoming a a louder voice on the field and just learning to boss the team around a bit. So um, it took a while, but once I found my feet and I guess got more, more confidence in my game and started playing some good footy at club level, then I sort of fell into that role a bit, bit more. It's an interesting point you touched on in terms of with the comms and especially with being a first five where you're having to direct the troops around the paddock. It's probably one thing that if you're a casual fan and you're only watching rugby at the highest level in front of a TV, you don't see how much talking actually goes on across the field. Like even like wingers, you, you think wingers just stand out there, do nothing, catch high balls and, you know, get the last pass for tries. But the really good ones are actually like just yapping and yapping and yapping almost as if they're a halfback. So comms, like you said, for a guy like yourself who, you know, strikes me as, you know, quite a laid back reserved guy to get out on the field and then have to be, you know, that leader, especially in the back line, um, it must have been quite tough. And how do you even work on that? Because 
as you'd know, like you can do all the skills and stuff, but it doesn't necessarily translate to on the field, you know, in the midst of, you know, all the pressure and the chaos of the game. Like, is there a specific coach that helps with that sort of stuff? Like, yeah, how do you actually just get louder and make it not so much robotic, but just automated? Yeah, it is, it is a tough one. I guess it's, that's why it probably took me a little bit of time as I didn't really know how to, other than just, you know, telling myself, oh, I need to talk more here. I need to tell these boys what to do. Um, it's just sort of practice. And um, I guess once I got into the Canterbury team, sort of just seeing how guys like Richie do it and you pick up, you know, little bits of, bits of gold from them and you sort of just learn to pick your moments. Like when, when the team needs to hear your voice, then that's when you need to step up. And those moments when, you, when you're struggling, you know, the team just needs someone um, to follow and tell them what to do. So I guess it just comes with experience and the more scenarios you've been through on the field, you can just sort of recall on them and, yeah, be confident just telling those boys what you want. Yeah, I, I can only imagine, like, having to be a 10 and then trying to tell, like, what's Sam Whitelock and, you know, all, all those other old heads what to do. And I think we all have been in a team where you've got that guy who's talking who shouldn't be talking. And that's part of it, right? You, you want to you want to be yourself because I think the boys will cotton on to where it's like, oh, Brett's not being himself or John's not being himself here. He's just talking for the sake of talking. So, yeah, it, it's like you said, it can be quite hard to find that balance or find that line. Um, and it probably would only come with experience to where it's like, yep, I'm being as influential as I need to be, but not overdoing it or not doing it for the sake of talking. Uh, but you touched on the fact that once you finally got into the mix, you were learning off the likes of Richie. So how was that first year as part of the Canterbury team? I know that in 2017, they go on to win the title, beating out your neighbours, Tasman up the road. So yeah, like what other learnings did you take away besides, I guess, having to be a little bit louder? Yeah, I guess it was just another another step up again. Um, <clears throat> we had an awesome team that year and it was, I guess I just sort of saw how enjoyable it it can be even at, at a high level had so much fun that year and I guess as a as a first five as well sort of the higher you go the almost the easier it gets for you in terms of you've got such good players outside you and they they do all this decision making for you and so that helped me a lot in my first year I'm sort of just focusing on what I needed to do and you know I've got guys like um, Rob Thompson, Tim Bateman, like George Bridge those guys just constantly in my ear so once I realized that I was just like man I just need to you know nail down my game and um, just have a really good understanding of how the team plays and just be able to run that but um, like you said being behind Richie was an awesome experience for me that first year um, just sort of being in his shadow I guess for that whole campaign and seeing how he goes about his work I guess another thing is once you're into your first sort of full-time rugby environment, yeah, um, you need to learn how to sort of build your week and I guess what your prep looks like um, so that you can go out and perform. Has that changed much for you? Like, can you can you walk us through or talk us through, sorry, what, you know, you going into it as what, like a 19, 20-year-old being like, okay, yeah, this is pretty cool. I just get paid to play rugby. And then how that differs now, like has much change you like are you real anal about your sleep like, I guess you probably didn't have to watch what you ate because you needed to put on weight but yeah like, had, like what, are, what are sort of the, some of the tricks of the trade that you've picked up off of players or even just learned about yourself through trial and error that yeah have, have put you in good stead yeah it, it definitely changes heaps um, it's yeah it's probably a big eye at first in terms of how much work you need to put in but I think at first I definitely wasn't you know doing enough but um, at the same time I didn't want to overthink things too much I just wanted to go mm -hmm. out and sort of be instinctual and that was kind of my game so I guess that that worked well for me at first but as you you know keep keep going on you figure out you know what what works for you what sort of work in terms of looking at the opposition that you need to do um, sometimes you can do too much and you know you don't you don't need all that in your head Sometimes you play better just without doing any of that and you just go out there and, and play what, what you see. But yeah, I think I've yeah sort of just built mine as the year's gone on of what works for me in terms of what I need to do to get my body right and sort of just, 
um, mental stuff as well. Um, but it's, it's just funny how it always comes back to just um, the more you enjoy it, the, the better you play. So now I just get away from it as much as I can on, on days off, you know, just hanging out with mates, play golf or go for a surf, just doing stuff to, to really get away from it. And then once you're, once you're back in in the environment and you're excited, but I think the big thing that I've learned is you prepare all week so that at the end of the week you can let that all go. Um, so you've done all the work um, that's in the back of your head, but you forget about it and that's all done and then you just go out and play and just enjoy yourself. Yeah, I think um, anybody who's played the game um, at any level can probably resonate with that in terms of when you become so fixated on the little things or you know, that's when the, the internal pressure mounts and you know, if, if you're not really having fun, then what are you really playing for? Uh, but I know that, you know, for guys of your caliber and who play at your level, it, it's easy for me to say, right? It's easy for me to say, yep, I'm just going to go out there and have fun because I'm playing rugby because I want to play rugby, whereas you're getting paid. So that's when the stuff in terms of like the pressure and the, the expectation and the responsibility you feel like you have. But as you, as you said, you've learned along the way that, you know, you play your best footy when you are relaxed you've done your prep and then yeah you just go out on the field and express yourself and that's and it's cool bro and not not to pull away from that but um just making sure i get through this all chronologically and i'm not i'm not making you go between um memories you know two to three years apart and having to dip back to the future from there you have your first season with canterbury um and then you actually end up linking them with the crusaders as an injury cover and make your debut in 2018 so over that off season, were you again with guys your own age as part of that Crusaders Academy or were you now sort of pushed towards um, the stuff with the full-time boys? Um, yeah, I was back in with the Academy initially and then I did uh, pre-season with the Crusaders and that was awesome. A massive eye-opener again, you know, you always hear about pre-season, what a tough slog it is. and But I, I really enjoy that side of it as well. Um, and just, I guess, once you get into that professional preseason, you sort of get into some of the best shape that you've been in. So um, that's only gonna gonna help you. So that was awesome. And then, yeah, like you said, ended up just training with the team as injury cover for most of the season. I think Richie may have broken his jaw or something that year. So I was in training and just sort of um, learning again. And yeah, a couple of weeks there got to. Um, sit on the bench and and make my debut for for a few minutes yeah talk us through that like the, it's one thing to get I mean obviously you did the preseason with them you're in bloody good nick but then to get called in you're like oh shit they're paying me now and then to then get Razor come up to you and go like mate you know you're part of the 23 this week what was going through your head through that whole process and then can you talk us through the lead up to the game and then you know getting told by the trainer Brett go warm up you're about to go on and then yeah like did you have family there yeah talk us through that whole process yeah the fir the first time it was actually on a captain's run day the the insides um the halfbacks and nines and twelves always go out for brekkie and we were sitting there having brekkie and the coach rang me um i wasn't actually named and then he's like you're going to come down to dunedin with us and be on the bench this week because uh, mike delaney pulled out injured Mm -hmm. um, so that was just the day before the game. So I was like, oh, shit, here, you know, here we go. But that, that was a pretty cool experience. And I remember all my mates were down in Dunedin because it was St. Patrick's Day, I think. <laughs> so that was crazy, like rolling up to the game in the bus and just seeing all the students in the zoo going off. But I just remember like kicking goals in the warm-up, just banging them into the zoo. I was like, fire out, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then didn't get on that game. And then, yeah, the following week I was named on the bench. So that was cool getting to have a sort of full week preparing for it. And we played the Bulls in Christchurch and um, it was pissing down. Not the greatest game, but uh, we were up by a few points at the in the end. I think I got on for about eight or nine minutes maybe. But yeah, it was an awesome feeling, like just getting to run out there. Didn't have any family down there, but um, a few mates and stuff still, still in Christchurch. So... It was a pretty cool experience. Yeah. Now, obviously, like, you're on such a high and you, and you can't really control it. Well, I don't know if you if you were able to control it. I'm just imagining if I was you were put in that position. 
and that when you get on and I mean, it sounded like the, you know, the game was sort of secured in terms of the scoreboard, but how, like, how do you bring yourself back down to earth? Like, you know, even, even going into games, bro, like as you've gone on and played more games at that level, like it must be quite a fuzzy feeling just having like this whole crowd around you just sort of roaring and then you sort of have to like level yourself out and not get too caught up in the moment. So like, how is, how has that journey been for you? There's like finding the calm, especially playing the position that you play. Yeah, it's at, at the start, you, I guess you were like pretty full of adrenaline and you sort of just got to find a way to, to calm yourself and not try to do too much, I guess, like coming off the bench for only a few minutes. I think I only touched the ball a couple of times and made a tackle, but um, it goes by pretty quick. But I think yeah, I've always been pretty relaxed sort of guy, so I don't get too sort of worked up pre-game or anything. So I usually feel pretty relaxed. And there has been a few games where, you know, there's a lot more nerves than usual, but usually not one to get too nervous. So just um, want to get out there and, and do well. Mr. Business, cool customer. I like it. All right. So 2018, you make your debut. You're with all that. And then off the back of Super, you roll into another Mitre 10. Now, unfortunately, this time around, the team doesn't go on to win it. You end up going down in what was another crazy game to be a part of, that overtime final against Auckland. Where, where does that game sit for you in terms of contests that you've been a part of? Yeah, that game still haunts me, eh? Um, man, I wanted that one so bad. It was um, it was awesome to win the year before, but I only played a couple games that year and the year after for it to sort of be... I guess my team to run and sort of play 80 minutes most weeks. It was awesome to get to that final in, at Eden Park um, against Auckland. You know, it's sort of stuff you dream of as a kid. And that was a crazy game. Like once it, I think we were up by pretty comfortably in the first half. Um, and then in the second half, it was pissing down with rain and they sort of clawed their way back to tie it up at the end. And then, yeah, 20 minutes overtime, it was. It was hectic. I've never played 100 minutes before and still haven't. <laughs> so it was crazy. But yeah, it was uh, so gutted to lose that in the end. But that was pretty cool to be a part of at the same time. Mm, yeah, so obviously not the greatest feeling not to secure the silverware. But like you said, you were getting consistent minutes. And you know, any 10 would know, um, not that I've ever played 10, but time in the saddle was such a big thing for you guys in terms of just like getting comfortable and finding you know what the guys inside and out you like and, and you got that obviously with um with with Mwanga being on the sidelines but prior to that final though um you were named as part of an extended squad with the All Blacks that were going to take part in their proceedings over in Japan um before they then shot off as part of their northern tour so where were you when you got that piece of news um and did you have any idea that you were even up for consideration of it all you know considering your I guess lack of game time at the super level and then like you said you only played a handful of games as part of the Canterbury team you know as a backup to, to Richie you know a kid from Whanganui went to Cullinane College who hadn't made a lot of the rep teams growing up like within the space of two or three years is now going over to Japan with the All Blacks like how the heck does that happen? Yeah it was it was crazy um I yeah that didn't have any idea um didn't even think about that at all that year um but I remember that day sort of knew that they were naming a big squad and I was I remember thinking I you know I wouldn't mind seeing the team naming just to see like you know any any mates or any boys that might make it yeah. um but we were, we were out training when the team naming was on and then the coach just pulled us into the the team room after training and he sort of started naming off the boys in our team that had made it I think there was like Drummo and um, Bridgie who made it for the first time and and then he said he said my name last and I sort of paused for a couple of seconds like just I don't know if he's been serious and then you know everyone sort of just erupted in the room and it was um yeah it was unreal sort of in disbelief for a bit there didn't have any idea so yeah, it was a crazy day I can imagine bro so did you get back to your phone and was it just flooded with text did you have missed calls from mom and dad yeah how did that go <laughs> yeah the phone, yeah phone was blowing up um so yeah i didn't really know what was going on but 
it was a pretty hectic sort of couple of hours. There was, you know, media and stuff coming in for, for interviews and, um, but I was just, you know, excited to call mum and dad and, you know, they were pretty emotional and pretty excited for me. So, and then just getting back to the, to my flatmates, it was pretty cool. Holy heck, yeah, you would have been on the shout set night. Well, I definitely <laughs> would have been pushing my voice if they had it. Well, hopefully they do one day. Um, as we mentioned, obviously, the, you still had rugby to play. The final didn't quite go to plan. Um, but then following that, you're on a flight to Asia and I'm mixing it with the best in the world. Can you talk us through the prep that went on during that week? You know, even you just going into the camp and being like, holy love, but all blacks kit, like all that sort of buzz. Then getting named in the team and then game day. Yeah, I think, I guess that was the best thing about after losing that um, Mighty 10 Cup final was the next day I was on a flight to Japan to go join the All Blacks. So I had to forget <laughs> about that pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, that was that was awesome. I just remember turning up with the other Canary boys to the hotel and meeting Steve Hansen and, and Fozzie and the coaches it was pretty surreal. And the next day um, we had just like a big, meeting as a whole squad and um they sort of stood all of the new boys up at the front and the whole squad did a haka to us and you sort of meet all the boys and that was um unreal experience um just sort of seeing all your your idols i guess that you've watched growing up and um look up to so it was just um cool sitting in in that room with them and um they they split the squad into sort of two groups for the week uh, the group that was that was leaving for the rest of the northern tour and the group that was staying for the for the game against Japan. So we didn't do we didn't mix and mingle too much with the with the other boys. And the prep I think I think they did a like an awesome job that week of making it. It was pretty relaxed and pretty low key. Like there wasn't too much that went into it, I think, just because it was pretty much a whole new team going out there. They didn't want to throw too much at us. So um, we didn't do too much training, but just sort of getting my head around, you know, the calls and um, I room with Richie that week. So it was the perfect guy to be with. And, you know, we were good mates by then. So just following him around and he just sort of took me under his wing, told me what the go was with everything. I was, you know, nervous, didn't want to be late to anything, didn't make sure I was wearing the right thing to meetings and gym. But it was good to have him um, there. And... Yeah, they named the team on the Tuesday when we were out on the field. And I remember because Damien had left uh, with the other squad. So I was like, oh, it could be a chance on the bench maybe. But yeah, once they once they said my name, I was um, yeah, stoked and um, just wanted to have a, do my best the rest of the week at training and um, look forward to the weekend. So you get named in the team. Obviously, you're just like, oh my God, like I'm four days out from realising a dream. Did you get your parents over and then, yeah, talk about game day? Um, yeah, I remember just ringing parents and telling them. No, so stoked and um, they stayed back home in New Zealand, but I knew they would have, you know, loved to have been there. Um, mm. But I knew I had, you know, awesome support crew watching from home. And yeah, game day, we had a bit of a big bus trip to the game. But yeah, I just remember for some reason I just like wasn't nervous at all which I was like this is weird like I'm more nervous for club games like <laughs> and just remember sitting um I was probably more nervous just for the hacker to be fair <laughs> and <laughs> walking out on the field I just remember looking up at the big screen and being like this is so surreal you know something you do as a kid in front of the tv mm. so that, that was a uh, wicked experience but um it was cool just sitting on the bench watching the boys go to work and then I was the last one to be subbed on with about eight or nine minutes to go and yeah I was just excited by then I just really wanted to get out there and unfortunately I didn't get I think I touched the ball once <laughs> <laughs> luckily but um we're on D most of the time so I didn't get to do a lot but it went by in a flash and I just remember just being um so happy after like once the final whistle went yeah it's just an unreal feeling yeah crazy like I said this in terms of like what your trajectory I guess um, would have perceived would have been perceived to be you know coming from where you came from and then yeah to be playing you know alongside all blacks you know albeit young boys but still you know all blacks nonetheless yeah that's that's literally what dreams are made of and so you realize your dream uh and then 
for the following year, your name's a full member of the Crusaders now. You, you don't have to come in as injury cover. And then you've got a Kiwi summer to enjoy. So when, once you get back home, like, where was the head at? Were you just like, what the heck was 2018? Like, is, was it even real? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, got back to Christchurch and back to my mates back there. Went to Cup Week for the races, so it was nice. an awesome sort of start to summer. Yeah, had a good time and just remember being, you know, stoked being named in the full squad for, for the Crusaders for the following year. And I just, you know, couldn't wait to to get stuck in into another preseason and push my case to hopefully get a bit more game time that year and yeah, see see what I could do with a with a full season. So having been a part of an all black squad, what were your goals for twenty nineteen? Like did you have any conversations with the big dogs? following or like was there any communication there as to you know obviously they they picked you for a reason so did they have any I guess messages for you leading into your full your, or your first full proper season of Super Rugby? I'm not no not really I just remember talking to Fozzie in the sheds after the game in Japan and you know we I knew at the at the time as well that it, the the battle for me going forward was going to be getting game time and I, I knew that was going to be going to be tough but the Crusaders were still where I wanted to be to to keep learning. Um, I thought it was the right place for me at the time, and um, I was just keen to to take my opportunities when they came and keep getting better. But yeah, unfortunately, didn't get too many opportunities, and had a couple that I just didn't really take and and play very well. So that was disappointing, and um, I didn't feel feel like there was any added pressure or anything from the previous year, but just on myself I just really wanted to play well and I guess secure a, a spot in the Crusaders and keep building but didn't didn't quite happen as as I would have hoped but yeah just wanted to keep keep building in the in the following years hmm. well because I mean it's tough right so like you said you're you stuck behind Richie who um, you probably knew better than anyone was on a bit of a tear in 2019 to me, he's probably arguably the most successful Super Rugby player ever, like given um, all of his feats following on from, you know, when he first got named, I think, well, when was it, in, in 2016. So you're only afforded um, limited minutes. Uh, and like you said, even though you didn't quite nail the games as you would have liked to, unfortunately for you playing the same position as him, you know, your performances are going to get judged alongside his. Um, and then, yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, you throw in the fact that you were in all the previous year. And I know that you said that, you didn't feel like there was a lot of added pressure on you from the environment that you were in. But yeah, I am just curious because it, I can just see that being a tough spot, you know, given how obviously cool it was to go through all that you did in 2018, but to have it come at you so quickly and then for 2019 not to quite work out the way that you would have wanted, how did you go about processing that? Like, did it ever get to you at times? Because I mean, like you said, you said you're a pretty cool guy. So did, it, did you just brush it off and just move on to the next or yeah I think it, it probably did get to me a little bit at times I was you know really disappointed after not playing very well but um, we had Ronan O'Gara as a coach that year and he he was awesome for me just like really honest and I think he could see that I was sort of struggling after you know having a disappointing game um, that I in my first start and he just sort of sat down with me and like we reviewed the game together and just had a real honest conversation and but I just felt like he still really believed in me and I I was still confident that I could go out there and and perform but yeah I think at times it just a little bit um internally you sort of uh, find it hard not to get in a pretty bad mindset where you know if you're on the bench you're probably only going to get on for five or six minutes and the game's already already won so you kind of at times you feel like the only thing you can do is kind of stuff something up once you get out there. So it's obviously a shocking mindset to have, but it, it was tough at times, um, just knowing that, that that was kind of the only, only opportunity you were going to get. Absolutely, bro. And I appreciate you being so transparent with that because I think, yeah, a lot of guys in your position would, would share the same thing, especially playing at a team like the Crusaders where it's like you, all you guys do is win and – on the rare occasion that things go wrong or whatever, like stuff's just amplified. So like you said, to 
not only like be in a position of winning, but then to be behind the guy who's you know pushing to be the All Black first five, like all that stuff, I can imagine just would have compounded. Um, and yeah, I guess just just made it tough for you to even like get into a flow of things because even like say for example, like well in the games that you did play well and you feel like you, you're sort of starting to get a get it you know get the gist of like what it takes to be a ten at that level, you know you already know that Richie's going to be coming back in right so it's just like how do you how do you deal with that like that's tough so yeah i mean i I know i mentioned before like time in the saddle for a 10 i've heard repeatedly is such a big thing um and you know if anybody had to watch you for manawatu last year they would have seen like what you were capable of had you been given the chance to just get into a flow of things and even like we saw in 2018 with yourself when you got your all blacks call up so yeah do, do, do you put down maybe like your an underwhelming stint um, with the Crusaders, or again, no disrespect. Did you put it down to that, just not being afforded the opportunities that you would like to have had? Yeah, yeah, 100%. But at the same time, like I can only blame myself for you got to be ready for the, the limited opportunities you do have. But at, at the same time, it's you do think back and, you know, you have, like you say, for a 10 time in the saddle is huge. And that's where you learn the most is just being out there and being amongst it. So, it's kind of tough as well looking at other other tens around that just get thrown and straight in there and um like I said that's where that's where you learn so you go pretty quickly once you're out there um so it was tough not getting too many opportunities and um having to follow someone like Richie he he's just quality player and he's just such a good team man as well um in terms of off the field stuff like the way he talks to the team everyone listens and He's a bit of a clown at the same time. So um, it's a pretty tough act to follow when you have to stand up and talk to the team um, after someone like that and sort of just, you know, convince yourself that they that they believe in you as well. But, yeah, I guess moving forward, that's helped me so much and just realising that I need to have that confidence within myself and, you know, the team can tell when you're being yourself and they can really see that confidence when you, when you stand up and, and talk to them as well and I guess the I guess the other troubling thing for you is that like I guess when stuff maybe wasn't quite going your way with the Crusaders is that like even if you look to take your talents elsewhere it's like well if you're if I'm in a another Kiwi coach it's like well I haven't really seen enough of you right because you haven't been given the game time at the level at that level so it's like why would I sign you if I don't really have the track record of you like what the crusaders might do and I, I don't know if like coaches go out and give give references and whatnot so i mean i mentioned all of that because you end up calling time on your career in new zealand today or well at the super rugby level um about midway through last year i think it was when the news broke that you were heading over to join the sea waves but what ended up happening is that like i said you ended up having a, a hissing season for one or two and so would you put that down you know having limited opportunities at the super level what yeah do you just put your performances um back home down to just i guess the game time and just playing with less pressure or less internalized pressure yeah for sure i think um once the you know opportunity came up to go to one or two the year before i sort of spent most of that might have 10 cup on the bench and that was frustrating you know i felt like i could offer more than what i was getting there so i just felt like it was time for a change and um, that was the first change that I'd had since leaving school, getting out of Christchurch again. So once I made that decision, I was a little bit nervous at the start, but I was just so excited for a change and being back close to home. But initially going there, like I just wanted to earn the respect of the boys at, at Manawatu. And once I sort of felt like I'd done that through through playing well, and I just really enjoyed like stepping up into more of a leadership role and really felt like I found my feet in terms of being a first five and being that calm and influence on the field for the team and someone that they can look to in the tough times. But it just came back to just really enjoying it again and not getting caught up in my own head. I was just going out and having fun. And I think I could I could definitely tell that there, there was a massive difference um, just looking back on the games as well, that I was just enjoying myself and that was when I was playing my best. Mm-hmm. Good to hear, bro. And obviously it was a, a great thing for Manawatu to have. Um, and off the back of you playing so well, uh, news surfaced as well that Super Rugby teams were somewhat interested in you. But unfortunately, with you having signed the contract in Japan, things 
didn't quite work out that way. So, of course, like you, you, you would have been happy with the fact that you that you played as well as you did last year to to garner that sort of attention. But was it frustrating at the same time to you know having had made that commitment to then have teams interested in you? Be like, this is what I wanted like six months ago. I know, I know, I know it works out that way. But yeah, I just wanted to get your input from there. Yeah, it was. Yeah, not gonna lie, it was very frustrating. Because initially that that was why I wanted I moved to Manawatu. I wanted to prove myself and push for a for a super spot. So, um, but I guess before that season started, I just thought you know anything anything can happen. So I didn't have anything on the cards at the time. So once uh, opportunity came up to go to Japan, I thought that I'd just take that into my own hands and sort of secure something for the following year. So yeah, it was a bit frustrating. Obviously, Super Rugby still where I wanted to be playing. So um, that was tough having to, um, once those opportunities came up to have to still leave. Mm-hmm. Well, in saying that though, I know that you're committed to your team in Japan, but you have only done on, on a one-year deal and you're signed for the Turbos for 2022. So we'll see you back in New Zealand at the back end of this year. So but what is sort of your outlook? Is that is that your main goal to get back to that super rugby level? And then, yeah, hopefully, you know, get a hold of a 10 jersey? Yeah, that's my that's my goal at the moment. Really excited to get back to play NPC again for one or two, and yeah, that's 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 what I'll be pushing for at the moment. I, I guess coming over here, I sort of it sort of reignited a bit of a spark in in terms of um, just want to be competing at a high level. I still feel like I can I can do that in New Zealand, and I'm really keen to to test myself at Super. I guess more than anything, just prove to myself that I can compete at that level and. Yeah, that's that's what I want to do for the next for the next couple of years, hopefully. No doubt, bro. Um, and if things go anywhere like they did last year, no doubt we'll see you um as part of some team um across the country. But I think that's uh pretty much what I wanted to get from your career to date, bro. But before I end this interview, I like to throw out two segments um for all of my guests that I have on. The first being, can you take us through your game day routine, please? Game day routine, yeah. Um, I guess it depends what time the game is, but if say if it's a seven o'clock game, I'll have a bit of a sleep in. Just I don't really have too much that I need to really get through anything that'll throw me off if I don't do it. But usually just go out for a coffee with a mate or one of the boys, and then I'll just um, chill out. We have a walk through and a, and a team feed together. So after that, I'll just have a um, have a nap for about an hour, and then get up, have a cold shower, and then listen to some tunes on the way. Yeah, usually pretty relaxed. Um, still kind of trying to just have a little bit of a joke around and stuff before the game starts and nothing too too serious. Still, sure, bro. I like it. Any superstitions? Nah, I always put on my like, right boot first, but nothing, nothing, nothing really. No. All right. Good to know. Um, and then my last one, brother. Uh, 10 in the bin, so I've got 10 quick-fire questions, and if you can just answer with whatever comes to mind first, that'd be much appreciated. So, number one, who was your childhood idol growing up? Dan Carter. Standard. Uh, champion <laughs> lightweight, so who's the biggest lightweight that you know? Oh, um, lightweight, shit. Um, let's say one, one of my flatmates back from Christchurch, Angus. Shout out to Angus. Um, <laughs> what's your must on a day off? Um, get outside, golf or surf or something like that. Andy, uh, worst coach's pet? <laughs> Shit, I don't know. It's a tough one, I'm not sure. All right, pass <laughs> on it. Uh, Favourite cheat meal? Uh, Macca's. What's your order? Probably a hunger... I usually go just for a hunger buster. Mm. Big Mac. Nice. Uh, <laughs> cheapest teammate. <laughs> cheapest. Uh, Josiah. Josiah Mariku. <laughs> Old gorse pockets, eh? Um, <laughs> second dream. So if you weren't living yours, what else would you like to be done with the time? I always wanted to play cricket, but now probably. I'd, I'd, I'd love to be like a teacher and just yeah helping some someone else nice what subject 
Ah, something in sports, yeah, for you. <laughs> it was always like by fallback, I reckon. Like when I went to uni, yeah. I'm like, if this, if this all bottoms out, like I'm just going to go to teachers' college and become a PE teacher at primary school. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> what do those guys do outside of like I know. dodgeball? That's because I just play dodgeball and all the kids would love me. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> easy. Rounding points of days. Uh, biggest grub you played with or against? Geordie Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> He's deceptive one, eh, with being a back. Like, I, I think a lot of backs get overlooked, but yeah, no, I've heard he likes to put in the niggle. Um, best piece of advice? Um, I think just be patient and um, just know who you, who you listen to. Nice. Good things take time. Last sentence, brother. You just got to finish it for me. Saturdays are for... The boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, legend. Legend. Um, well, that brings this uh, whole podcast to a wrap, man. Um, I just want to say thank you very much again uh, for taking some time out to talk to me. All the best for the rest of the season. Hopefully the boys can turn it around and I look forward to seeing you back donning the green and white for the turbos at the end of the year. Thanks very much, bro. Thanks for having me on. Love what you're doing with the potty and yeah, keep it going. It's awesome. Very humbly, man. Appreciate it. Catch you later. Cheers, bro.